0: to teach you the depth of His Word. Enjoy the study. We are going to unpack Revelation 19, the last kind of five verses here, and what I've labeled as part three. So we've been going through this bit by bit, just verse by verse, through the Word of God. And today is going to be a pretty special message, I hope. And we're going to unpack a lot around the Word of God from... Genesis all the way to Revelation and really look at what does this mean for Jesus to return, to vanquish his enemies, and to establish his kingdom. So if you remember the last six chapters of the Bible, what I've very sarcastically labeled the Great Reset, (laughs) it's chapter 17 through 22. So we've gone through these, we're on part three in chapter 19, and then chapter 20, is all about the millennium. Chapter 21 is about the new heaven and the new earth and eternity. And then there's some closing promises of the book. So we're going to wrap up chapter 19 today and then dive into chapter 20 next time. So the three parts, we took this this chapter. We had the right part one, we rightly divided the word of God for the what we generically in the church call the second coming of Jesus. And Once to bring us home and to meet him in the air, and once with him stepping foot back on earth, on the Mount of Olives, and we're going to read that in Zechariah 14 today. In part two, we took about his marriage supper and the difference between the wedding ceremony and the marriage supper. The ceremony in heaven, the supper on the earth, when the Old Testament saints are resurrected, and then today we're going to look at he destroys his enemies before the marriage supper, so it's a little bit out of chronological order, but he's going to destroy his enemies with the word of his mouth, and then we're going to look at what is this kingdom all about that's been promised to David and all over the Bible. So we're going to dive into Jesus conquering his enemies. Three major events will unfold at this time. He's going to destroy his enemies, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast system by his word. He's going to establish his millennial reign, and he's going to fulfill dozens of unconditional promises to Israel all over the Bible. So it's going to be pretty neat. So in verse 17, it opens up, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God. This is not the marriage supper. This is the supper you don't want to be invited to. This is the supper where he... He destroys and vanquishes his enemies, that ye might eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army." Remember, we have from the chapter 19, verse 11, the rider on the white horse, Jesus himself. And we talked a lot about the physics where we were with him. We're going to ride down with him. That's from Colossians, Titus. There's several spots in the New Testament that confirm that. But we're going to ride down with him. So the rider on the horse, look at 19, the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him. So again, this is not the place where you want to be. And if you're in Jesus, you won't be. But these are the armies of the world gathering together at the end of the tribulation to make war against him that sat on the horse. And it's really going to set up a righteous king that will rule and reign in supremacy. So the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. So remember, the two players in the end times. It's really the satanic trinity. You have the beast, the false prophet, and Satan. And so it's, it's Satan's false trinity. It's his satanic trinity. So the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, remember all through Revelation we studied how the false prophet is the one who works miracles, satanic black occultic magic miracles to make the world worship the beast, the antichrist with which he deceived them that had received the mark. And we did a whole study on the mark of the beast, and what is that about? One thing I'll just note, you know, it is the number of, of a man, the number of his name, three score, 606, so the 666 from Revelation 13. But why is it 666? Well, we talked about this a little bit in Bible study, but I'll just share with you guys. When God created man in the six days, so the The soul, the spirit, soul, and the body. So you are a triune being because you're creating the image of God. You have a spirit, soul, and body. Soul being your mind, will, and emotions. And Hebrews makes that distinction between your soul and your spirit. Well, it's it that's all it is. It's Satan, it's Satan trying to control your body, soul, and then ultimately when you worship him, he controls your spirit and you're cast forever away from the Lord. And so it's his attack, right, on you as a triune being, your body, soul, and spirit in the 666, because the number of those are, is six. It's the number of man when God breathed life into Adam. So pretty neat. And the, with which he deceived them that had received the mark and then that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So what we're going to see The false prophet and the Antichrist are cast into the lake of fire. And in chapter 20, a thousand years is going to go by, and they are going to still be there, still burning, still under torment for their attack against the Lord. And then Satan is going to be cast ultimately there with them. But there they are. They're cast alive into it. So that's their future. That's their destiny. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So the word of God will be victorious. So how does God vanquish his enemies? They're slain with his word, the word of his mouth. And it's again, going back to Hebrews, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, divided amongst the sunder, the soul, and the spirit. But it's by his word that he destroys them. And we're going to look at a really interesting chapter in Zechariah 14 in a minute. That shows how they're destroyed. What happens when the creator of the universe just decides to let go? You know, we've talked some in, in here about the physics of the sound waves from Jesus that are holding together every atom right now that quantum physicists have found. Of course, they don't admit that it's his voice that's doing it, but they admit that it's sound waves that are holding together every atom. And I find it, again, so fascinating because in Genesis, it's, and God said, and God said, so you have the voice of god literally holding together every atom and they are he's just going to let it go and they're just going to melt in front of him so it's going to be pretty pretty cool when we look at this okay they're they're gathering to make war with the creator of the universe and it's so laughable but when you think about this this is the war that's declared in psalms chapter 2 and it's really a war that you just can't I cannot imagine being on their side going, Yeah, I'm gonna go to war against Jesus. I think I'll that'll turn out well. It just I cannot imagine them doing this, but the Lord's going to laugh about this and he declares this in Psalms two. And it may be kind of hard hopefully you guys can see it on the screen, but it's in your notes. Psalms two is actually a dialogue amongst the Trinity. There's three members talking, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And we looked at this all the way back in Revelation chapter six, but I I wanted to put this in here because this is the point at which the enemies of God declare war on Jesus. And so it opens up, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens, that's the Father, Shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. So, those first four verses, the Holy Spirit speaking. Then the Father says in verse five, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, speaking of Jesus, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And he's going to, he's going to set his king, Jesus, our king, upon the holy hill of Zion. And then the Son says, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. And then the Father in verse 8, Ask of me and I will sh- shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then the Holy Spirit closes, Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And so you have the the kings of the earth just really wanting to, the whole reason they're going to war with Jesus is to cut The rule of God out of their lives, right? They want they want no authority over them. It's really the first hint of Satanism, right? Satanism says you can do whatever you want, do whatever makes you feel good. It's one of their very first rules, and that's exactly what these kings are trying to do. They don't want to live under the law and the rule of the one that created them. Okay, this event is detailed throughout the entire Bible, but I wanted to go through Zechariah 14 real quick. Because th- this is amazing. This is one of the one of those really cool chapters in the Old Testament where the prophecy is so detailed about what Jesus is going to do at this time, and this is a, just incredible. So starting in verse one, behold the day of the Lord. Now remember, the day of the Lord, that day; those are two kind of synonymous terms. If if you read those in the Old Testament, and all the way back in chapter. 6 with the red horse when we were there months ago, we talked about the day of the Lord and just pulled out every single verse in the Old Testament that called out the day of the Lord. And when you read that, you get a really good image of what is this tribulation going to all be about? What is it all about? So behold, the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So all nations, that includes the United States, that includes Europe, that includes the nations of Europe, South America, the world, all nations. There will come a point when the entire world is against Israel, and you're seeing that set up now, but why? Because Hosea 5.15, they have to petition Jesus to return for him to come back. So Jesus in Hosea 5.15 says, I will go Again, I will go and return to my place until they acknowledge their offense. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly or fervently. So it's the affliction of Israel that drives them to the wall in the tribulation, where they cry out to God. After He has returned, which He did in Acts with the ascension, then He comes again. So the entire world's against them, and you are, you already see that being set up right now. With what is it? Seventy-eight percent of the UN resolutions are against Israel. The world is against this tiny group of people that they occupy. Again, they occupy a tenth the size of the state of Oklahoma. And yet the entire world is against them. It's biblical. There's a reason. Because if Satan knows if he can destroy Israel, if he can destroy Jerusalem, they cannot petition Jesus to return. So, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now, one of the books I'm so excited to read in heaven, because we don't have it today, but in Numbers, Moses references the book of the wars of the Lord. And Jesus has fought a lot of them. You know, he fought the battle of Jericho. We see that in Joshua 5 when Joshua confronts Jesus, and Jesus leads the battle at Jericho. But that's one of the books that I cannot wait to get a hold of that. I'm hoping the Lord has reserved a copy for us to hang out and just read about that in heaven, because he's fought a lot of wars, a lot of wars that we don't know about, but he has fought them. And he's, just go read that in Numbers, look up, search the, the book of the wars of the Lord, it's referenced there in Numbers, pretty neat. Okay, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his, listen to this in Zechariah 14, 4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And so get the picture. I find this interesting, too, because under the Mount of Olives, they have found a fault line, and in fact, there's a hotel there that's built. Can't remember, they have changed the names of it a couple times, but there's a hotel there that had to have foundation work because of a fault line that runs through the Mount of Olives, and apparently, that fault line is only waiting for the pressure of a foot to become active, but it's going to cleave, and half of it's going to split and the reason is because there's going to be living water coming out of Jerusalem during the millennium that's talked about in chapters 20 and 21, and I think a little bit here. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. That's us. Remember in 19, verse 11, we're with him we're with him when he he returns, if you're in the church right now. And he shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Now, there's a hint of this in Revelation 22 and 21. When we get a new heaven and a new earth, there is no more sun. There's no need for it because Jesus is the light of the world. And so I don't the thing that I'm just speculating here, and, and you guys, again, Acts seventeen eleven. take it to the Lord and see what he teaches you. But in the millennium, there may not be a sun or the need for a sun. And it kind of talks about that here, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. In other words, Jesus, again, is the light of the world. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living waters, so here it is, shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. So that's the, the Persian Gulf versus the Mediterranean. In summer and in winter shall it be. So we're going to still have seasons, summer and winter. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord and his name one. Man, I cannot wait for that. I, I cannot wait for there to be a righteous king ruling on this earth. Right now, I'm so glad that the book does not end with, well, you guys just have to survive these Luciferian leaders that want to murder your children and corrupt your, your church and shut you down and just hold tight you know, until you die. Praise God that's not the end of the book because we have hope in this. There's hope to look forward to in Jesus all the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanil unto the king's winepress. And you can look at Ezekiel, i talk about this a little bit later, but in Ezekiel, the last nine chapters, the Lord lays out how he petitions the land in the millennium and, and distinguishes it from Dan, and there's a holy place Pretty cool. And the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction. Praise God for that. No more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. They are not safely inhabited today. In case you haven't noticed, there's rockets flying in from the Gaza Strip. There's suicide bombers going off in the markets. They are not safe in Jerusalem right now. But they will be. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. So I want you to listen to this closely because the, I'm not smiling because of how they are going to be vanquished. What I'm smiling about is that the Lord put this detail in there because you and I are going to watch this when you are with Him and we're watching Him fight this battle. It's not even a battle. You know, my whole life grew up in the church, it was the battle of Armageddon. There's really no battle, there's no war. They gather to stage a war. Jesus ends it really quick. There's not going to be this struggle and, and telling us, okay, you know, Ryan, I need you to take the west flank and Matt go south. It's just going to be us hanging out, and Jesus is going to wipe them out with the word of his mouth as their creator. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. That's, that's pretty straightforward. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Sounds like a neutron bomb. It's a, a neutron bomb attacks protein only, not bone and tissue. But keep going. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. I can imagine they're probably going to be freaking out. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. See, remember back in Revelation 14 when Jesus is there, we talked about that 1,600 furlongs through the valley of Jehoshaphat that the Lord lays out from Har Megiddo, it's Mount Megiddo, all the way down to the rock city Petra. That 1,600 furlongs, that's the staging ground through Jerusalem for this battle. And remember, the blood of his enemies comes up to the horse's bridle, think thinking about like four and a half feet or so. And then Isaiah 63 is him saving the remnant. But it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. Sounds like when he rescued them from Egypt. And so shall be the plague of the house, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts. That shall be in these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. See, the other thing you get in Ezekiel at the end, you get a layout of the Millennium Temple. And the feasts are going to be reinstituted. And it's actually prophesied here in these verses, we're going to close out Zechariah 14, that Egypt does not keep it. And so they're not going to have rain for a while. There's three groups of people that enter the millennium. Those of us that are raptured before, that return with Jesus. The Old Testament saints that are resurrected when Jesus steps foot on the Mount of Olives. We're going to look at that verse from Job. And then those that survive the tribulation that go into the millennium. And so, the feasts are reinstituted. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So, it's a judgment. Okay, if if your nation doesn't send your representative to go worship the king in the tabernacle, or I'm sorry, the temple, maybe it's a tabernacle, but the temple from the millennium, you're not going to get rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague. So if you continue not to come up after it's not raining and you have a drought, there's a plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. See, this is going to be a whole new world. This is going to be a world going back almost to how it was in the Old Testament, but it's dealt with immediately from Jesus. This shall be the punishment of Egypt. And the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles in that day, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bulls before the altar. Yea, Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see the seeth therein. And in that day, There shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So there's no more Gentile Canaanites, none of that. It's just people serving the Lord. So what are we seeing here? I put these two slides in here just so you guys had them in your notes. We don't have to go through them in total detail again. But we're seeing the wrath of the almighty creator of the universe. And again, when Jesus opens his ministry in Nazareth, in uh, Luke 4, I'm sorry, in the temple, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of of them were in the synagogue were fastened on him, on Jesus. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And when you go back and you look at where was he reading from Luke 4? He was reading Isaiah 61, the first two verses. And he tells you that, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So he fulfilled what he was reading. He literally fulfilled it. But look where he stops. So 61.1 and the first part of 2 is where he was reading. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Remember, that's where he closes the book. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. But look what he did not read. He did not read in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, because he didn't do that the first time. He's doing that the second time, and we're with him. Praise God, the day of vengeance of our God, dearly beloved, in Romans twelve nineteen, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So I want you to notice that Jesus interpreted that literally, he came to do that the first time. He did that, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, bind up the brokenhearted, heal the sick, all these things. But he stopped right there in Isaiah 61 too, and closed the book. So what we're seeing here, this will begin the establishment of Jesus' kingdom as promised throughout the Bible. So look at what Gabriel says to Mary in Luke 1. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. The throne of David. It's a political ruling throne. David was the greatest king to ever live in Israel. And there are promises, unconditional promises, all through the Old Testament we're going to go through now, of a promise to David for a forever kingdom that has never been fulfilled, but it will. The throne of his father David. Now, remember, Rome ruled the world when Jesus walked the earth. So there was no throne of David. Israel was in captivity for the most part. Not really like they drug off to Babylon, but they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And what's amazing, when you go all the way back to Genesis, just as a a sidebar, we'll try not to go down too many rabbit trails, but when you go back to Genesis, when Jacob prophesies over the 12 tribes, his 12 sons, over Judah, he says the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And when you read that in, in the English, you're thinking, man, what is he talking about, the scepter? Well, it's a Hebrew figure of speech for the ability to enact capital punishment will not leave Israel until Shiloh come. And Shiloh is a term of the Messiah, of Jesus. And one of the things that happened when Rome conquered the world, they took away the ability to enact capital punishment away from Israel. And when that happened, the rabbis were reading Genesis going, This is the word of God has been broken. Because we don't have the ability to enact capital punishment, but yet Jesus isn't here, the Messiah, Shiloh, the one we've been looking for. But they little did they know that up in Nazareth, in that carpenter shop, there was a boy that was waiting to take his place on that cross for us. And they missed it. But it's amazing how even that was fulfilled, literally. So God's promise of this throne, it was established all the way back in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. When you read this starting in verse 11, and as since that time and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house and when the days thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers i will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne Of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. In verse 16. How long? It's forever. This is a throne that is forever. God promised that the government would be upon Jesus' shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. It's one of my favorite Christmas verses every year that you you probably see a lot. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Those are not synonymous. A child is born is is Jesus' humanity. A son was given as the son of the living God. Those are not the same, but it's, it's amazing how God is speaking to his humanity and his deity at the same time. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So, when you think about this, the government, I mean, is the government on Jesus' shoulders right now? I would look at the world and say, no. It's not. There are children murdered in the womb. Evolution is propagated to your children in school as if it's truth when it's a straight-up lie from the enemy himself. Prayers removed from schools. The Word of God is removed from our courthouses. And that's just the beginning here in the United States, much less what's going on around the world. But the government will be upon his shoulder. It's promised right there in the Word of God, and it's going to happen. Its promise is confirmed in First Chronicles 7, verse 12. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. In verse, chapter 17, verse 13, I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. This sounds like a long time and all through the bible i just i'm wanting to really you guys to get the point that all throughout the old testament it is forever forevermore his throne first chronicles 22:10 he shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and i will be his father and i will establish the throne of his kingdom over israel forever Isaiah 55, 3. Incline your ear and come unto me, here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. It's an everlasting covenant in Ezekiel 37. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. David has been long passed away by this point, but he will be resurrected. And it's confirmed multiple times in the Old Testament. David will be resurrected for the millennium as the prince of Israel while Jesus rules the world. In Ezekiel 34, 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Very plainly, he's spoken it. This is all what we talked about in Job 19, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. In other words, when Job is long passed away, and his body is decayed and gone, He knows that his Redeemer is going to stand on the earth in the latter day, and he will be resurrected to see him, to see him in the latter day. It's all confirmed by God under oath in Psalms 132. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. In Psalms 89, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David My servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. So God's even confirmed it under oath. In Acts 15, this was the whole issue the first church council in Acts 15, starting in verse 13. And after that, after they had held their peace, James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And certainly he did. Israel rejected the Lord. They rejected the Messiah. And God opened up and really created one of the greatest miracles in the Bible was forming the church where the Holy Spirit indwells us. And God is not through with Israel. Romans uh, eight or 9, 10, and 11 is all about Israel past, present, and future. And all through the New Testament, Israel's mentioned, I think, 75 times in more than 70 verses that God's not finished with them. They have a destiny, and it's all laid out. That's what the seven-year tribulation is all about. But to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. After what? After he's taken a people out for his name. He will come again and build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. What they are quoting here in Acts 15 is Amos 9. In Amos 9, 11, and 12, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. So after the time of Jacob's trouble, God promises again to raise up David in, in Jeremiah 30. Alas, for that day is great, the day of the Lord, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. It's Israel's trouble. It's not the trouble for the church. It's Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I'll break his yoke off thy neck, and I'll burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God. And look at this, here it is again. And David their king whom I will raise up unto them, David their king. So you have David once again confirmed there. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. That is not going on right now. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Israel's not in rest right now. And until May 14th of 1948, they had not even returned. People who took the Bible seriously in World War II knew that it could not be the end times because Israel was not in the land. And it's amazing. Isaiah 66 8, God asks this sarcastic rhetorical question Who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? And sure enough, on May 14th, 1948, quoting from Ezekiel, they renamed the Holy Land Israel. And they were regathered. And God promises several places in the Old Testament that once they're gathered again, that second time, they would never be removed again. As despite the world wanting them to be removed, they will not be removed again, according to God's word. And again, there were a lot of people back then, obviously that was before my time, but in 1948, my grandfather fought in World War II. There were a lot of people back then saying, okay, this is it. You know, Hitler's the Antichrist, it's the end of the age, it's all coming to a close. What is going on? And there were, there were some really sound, solid Bible teachers and students of the word that kept saying, no, it cannot be because Israel is not in the land. And sure enough, they were spot on. So when the millennium is established, God will establish Israel in the land promised all the way back in Genesis 15. This is an unconditional promise to Israel, In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This was before his name was changed to Abraham. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So I want you to look on that map. That is Israel's borders according to God. And they occupy such a small portion of that land right now. They will eventually get it all. Now, how much do they gather before the tribulation Is yet to be seen. We know from Psalms 83, there's a war where the nations surrounding Israel go to war and they're going to get some of that land. Then there's an outer ring of nations from Ezekiel 38 and 39, led by Russia, Iran, Turkey, down in Ethiopia. There's some of those outer ring nations that come to war against Israel and God's going to destroy them as well. So they're going to get a lot of this land probably before the seven year tribulation, but they may not get all of it until Jesus establishes it. And again, the fat, the last few, I think it's eight or nine chapters of Ezekiel, petitions out this land by tribe in the millennium. So that land grant, what I want you to notice, that land grant is unconditional. Look what the Lord says. The Lord says, can you go back one slide, Austin? The Lord said, I, I have given this land. So he's given it to him. He's not. He doesn't say, I've given you this land if you'll follow me and keep my word. He doesn't say, I've given you this land if you do this, this, and that, or keep my 639 laws in Leviticus. From God's perspective, that land is theirs. It's his name on it. It's why the entire world fights over that little bitty plot of land in the middle of the the Middle East. It's why the entire world is at war against it. He put no conditions on it, but he, he will establish it, just like he did, just like he's mentioning with the throne of David. There's no conditions on any of those. So these verses, I want you to look at Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3. They're used by the United Nations minus the king. If any of you have seen this picture, there's a statue outside the United Nations building with these verses on it, but they leave off the beginning that's all about Jesus. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They, they leave that off. They pick up the back half because they think that it's their destiny to bring in this one world government and mankind will live in peace and safety and security, etc. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And it's put in the Old Testament twice, in Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3. But I've always laughed about that, how the UN leaves off the front part. They don't want to admit that Jesus will judge among them and their nations and and rebuke strong nations afar off. They just want to bring in their Luciferian one-world government, which is pretty—we're seeing a lot of signs of that. So what about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10? You know, you pray this every time you pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. On the earth, you're praying that. You're praying for the kingdom to be established in Daniel 2.44. And in in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So remember, in Daniel 2 is the golden statue from Nebuchadnezzar, the dream that Daniel interprets through God for him. It's the gold, silver, brass, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. And it laid out from Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome, and then the final Antichrist kingdom, the iron mixed with clay. But in the days of these kings, now it's talking about the ten kings that set up the beast kingdom where the Antichrist rises out of that. We've gone through that in a lot of detail here. But remember on the statue at the bottom, there were the ten toes, and in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In Luke 22, 29, and 30, And I point unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How many of you have sat on a throne judging one of the tribes of Israel? I I certainly haven't. I I don't think any of you in this room have done that. But Jesus promises you in the millennium, if you're in the church, you get to sit on a throne judging one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's amazing. Because it's all going to go back to that. So, And the other thing, I didn't mention this last week, but about the marriage supper. Remember at the Passover table, there's four cups of the Passover. And Jesus stopped, and he didn't drink of that third cup. And he said, I will no more drink from the vine until we are gathered together in my kingdom. See, at that marriage supper, it may be at the ceremony, it may be at the supper. The Bible's not totally clear on which place, but he's going to drink from that again. We're going to get some of the best wine you've ever tasted in your life, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But I find this fascinating, that we're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel during that time. So praise God that he will rule with a rod of iron, because this world is in utter disarray. Psalms 2.9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my father." And then twice in Revelation, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. In chapter 19, last time, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. So every prophecy that has been fulfilled, I want you guys to think about this. The Bible's full of prophecies about Jesus' first arrival to the earth. And every single one of these was fulfilled literally. He would make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and Zechariah 9, nine and Psalms 118 declares that. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. That's only one. That's Jesus. Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the full of an ass. That's exactly what he did in the triumphal entry, as we call it. He would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, and he was in Zechariah eleven. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter for a goodly price that I was prized of at them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them into the potter in the house of the Lord. And that's exactly, remember what Judas did? He weighed out his price for silver. Silver's always the price of blood, or speaks of blood in the Bible. And he weighed it out. And then he admits that he betrayed innocent blood, and he cast it at the tabernacle, or at the temple, I mean, in the house of the Lord. And they took it and did some stuff with it. But even that detail is here in Zechariah 11. He'll cast it in the potter of the house of the Lord. He'd be like a smitten shepherd in Zechariah 13, 6 and 7. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Psalms declares he would be given vinegar and gall. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And certainly they did while he was on the cross. They'd cast lots for his garments. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture, and that's exactly what they did. Remember his robe. They cast lots for his robe. He'd be pierced in Zechariah 12.10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now, this is fascinating because back then, when Zechariah was written, stoning was the form of capital punishment, so crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. It comes later by the Persians, but it's prophesied here in Zechariah 12, and Psalms 22, 16. For dogs have compassed me, the the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Sounds a lot like Jesus. And the whole Psalms 22 opens up with that he'd be forsaken in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Go check out Psalms 22. The whole thing is is dictated by Jesus, first person singular, on the cross. He opens up, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he even makes some statements in there that aren't captured in the New Testament in the Gospels. His beard would be ripped from his face in Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He'd be marred so bad, he would not even look like a man in Isaiah fifty-two fourteen, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He would be born of a virgin in Isaiah seven fourteen, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, or God is with us. And certainly he was. And in the Hebrew in that, behold, a virgin, it's really the virgin, a specific one that would bear a son. And that was one of the miraculous reasons uh, Jesus had to be born of a virgin because of the blood curse on Jeconiah from Jeremiah. And there's a whole legal right to the Davidic throne because of that. We'll go through that sometime. He'd be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5 too. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So the one that has always been will come from a virgin and in Bethlehem. And certainly that's exactly where he was born. Isaiah 53, go read Isaiah 53. The whole chapter is about Jesus. So Jesus, every, of, every single one of these prophecies in the Old Testament about his arrival the first time it was fulfilled literally. And every one of them of his second return in power will be fulfilled literally. It's a promise to us. It's where our hope is. So he wrote it down. He wrote his word down for us to take it seriously. He established it for us to have confidence in the events of the future. He wins. Praise God. At the end of the book. He wins. The seventh day, he rested. In the, re, the whole account of recreation, you had the six days and the seventh he rested. It's, a, it's amazing how that really could be a model of the 6,000 years of human history. And then the seventh day we will rest with him in Jesus. All right, so like we always do, we always close. And I'm just really encouraging you guys to get in the word of God. That's, what I want you to do is to take everything to the Holy Spirit and let him be your teacher. You've got to lean on the anointing of the Holy Spirit for all things from 1 John 2.27. So build your faith. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's important because of Hebrews 11.6, for without faith, it's impossible to please him. So how do you get it? Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And how often should you do it? Acts 17.11, search the scriptures daily to prove these things be so. So you've got to get in the word of God. And if you've not accepted Jesus, and you're watching this out there, if you're here and you need a savior, it's really simple, Romans 10, nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You know, you wanna make sure that your name is not blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. And I know someone is out there watching who does not know the savior And what I want to encourage you in is that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. The question is, do you accept God's remedy for it to stay there? And this was an amazing thing the Lord showed me years ago from Psalms all over the Word of God. But he makes this interesting statement in the Bible when someone rejects him. He says, I have to blot them out of my book, which means they had to be written there. Which means if they were written there, he made a way... For you to come to him and this is such an incredible promise i've got a lot of loved ones that do not know the lord that do not know jesus as their savior and i am so encouraged to go and sit with them and to teach them and to witness to them and teach the gospel to them and preach salvation to them just praying and longing that they will not have their name blotted out in psalm 69 let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So their names are there in Exodus 32. Remember what Moses said, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Look what he's telling to Moses. I can't blot you out, but those that reject me, that do not accept my gift, I, I have to blot out. Because... They're not covered by the blood of Jesus, so I can't have fellowship with them. In Revelation three five, a promise from the Lord Himself: He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And then it, in Psalms, one more in Psalms one thirty nine. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. What a what an amazing testament from God. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. In other words, you're not saved yet. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So your members, before you were even born, you were written in the book. And that is an incredible declaration from the Lord in Psalms 139. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In 1 Timothy 4.10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. See, he's the savior of all men, but especially those that accept the gift. In 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Remember, we looked at that in Job. Bar him from going down to the pit, for I have found a ransom to be testified in due time. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you do not know the Lord, your name is there and he is at war for you and your spirit to forever have fellowship with him. But there is only one way, and that is Jesus. There is no other way to come to the Father. So with that, I may close us out in prayer. That's our email address. If any of you have questions, if you're watching out there, if you need something, please feel free to reach out to us. Lord, I just thank you so much, again, for all the families here this morning. And Lord, we do pray a special blessing upon the conference that starts here in a few hours Lord be with all of them that are there let those, let those women that are coming from from wherever they're coming from let them be blessed at the teaching of the Holy Spirit at that conference and Lord we are lifting up all of those that are out today traveling, who have family members being rushed to the hospital who are with their kids at events Lord I just pray that you would place a hedge of protection around them and bring them back safely for next weekend. Lord, we love you. Be with us as we leave this place, Lord. Amen.